Amen. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4 in your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 4. If you brought your Bible with you, you'll want to see the words that we're looking at. They're the words of God uh, in our English language, but uh, you'll want to see them if you have your Bible. Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. What a great song. I appreciate it so much. Um, He said, Arise. When Jesus was on this earth during his earthly ministry, that song reminds me when he came to the tomb of Lazarus, and Lazarus had died. And you remember Lazarus' sisters came out to the Lord Jesus, and, uh, and they, with tears, tearfully, they said, if you had only come earlier, you could have healed him, you could have saved him. And uh, Jesus, being the Christ, being God in human flesh, looked to, toward the tomb where Lazarus, a dead man, uh, lay, and Jesus said, come forth. Lazarus, come forth. And uh, the tomb was open, and Lazarus came walking out. Jesus made a dead man live again. And uh, you say, Seth, do you believe those stories? And my answer to you is absolutely Yes. Jesus, who was a good man and a wonderful teacher, and many saw that during his time here on earth, but he was more than just a good man and a good teacher. Jesus was fulfilling prophecy. He was God in human flesh. He humbled himself and he came to this earth. And yes, he healed people. And yes, he lived a sinless life. And yes, um, he was a wonderful teacher. But he came for one reason, and that was to suffer and die for the sins of the whole world. And uh, he did that, and then he rose again the third day, and he sits in the right hand of the Father. And someday he's going to return, and he's going to rule and reign for all of eternity. So when they sing that song, he said, arise, that is an exciting event. And for those of you sitting in this room this morning who are born again, you've received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that song is a very special meaning to your heart because there was a day in your life where he said to you, arise, and you passed from death unto life. God saved your soul, and uh, he saved my soul. So I want to look here at Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. We're going to get back, and we'll continue going through Ephesians in chapter 1, where we left off last week, but not today. I want to skip ahead just a little bit in our study in Ephesians, and I want to look at chapter 4. Of course, at the end of chapter three, verse, chapters 1 through 3, the Apostle Paul has laid the groundwork, the doctrine, in this letter that he wrote, that God gave him the words to write, and he penned down those words, and he sent the letter to the church at Ephesus. And the first three chapters are very much doctrinal. They're all about Jesus Christ. And, uh, but then we come to chapter 4, and chapters 4 through 6 are very practical. It's the application uh, of the first three chapters. And really, I want to answer a question this morning as we look at chapter 4, and the question is this. What's the purpose of church? What's the purpose of the local church? I mean, you say, well, Seth, if you don't know that, I mean, why are we here? If you don't even know that, I'm not sure. And there might be some here this morning who would say, Pastor, I'm not sure why I'm here. I'm here in church because of my parents. I'm in church because of my dad. I'm in church because of my mom. 
Uh, Some of you really might be sitting here this morning and wondering, why am I in church at all? Well, you remember the word church, has the, it means assembly, a, a called out assembly, born again believers assembling themselves together. It's possible for a person to be saved, to be born again, to be going to heaven when they die, no fear of death or hell. And it's possible for that person who is saved never to go to church. That's possible. You don't have... To be saved, to be saved from death and hell and from bondage to sin today does not require that a person attend church. No, to be saved, a person only needs to be born again of the Holy Spirit of God. They have to be saved by putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Not trusting in themselves, not trusting in their good works, but trusting in Jesus Christ alone. But what's the point of church? I mean, whose idea was church anyway? I know, it probably was a long-winded guy who was a pastor. And he probably made up this whole thing about church. You know, he just needed people to preach to. His wife got tired of the sermons and his kids. And he said, you know what, I'm going to go out and get me some people to preach to. Is that who came up with the idea of church? Well, the answer, obviously, is no. Uh, But what is the purpose of church? What does God want to use believers who are assembling themselves together, and that's what we're doing here, we've assembled ourselves together, what is it that God wants to accomplish now that we've been saved? Now that we've received Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, what is he trying to accomplish through the assembling of the believers that are called a church? I believe Ephesians chapter 4 tells us the reason why we assemble, And it tells us what he wants to accomplish, and he tells us how he will accomplish it. And I want to look at these verses, just kind of looking ahead a little bit in Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm going to begin reading in verse number 11. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 11. I'm going to read down through verse number 16, though we'll not preach through all of these here this morning. Verse 11, the Bible says this, and speaking of Christ, and it says that he's given something to his church. Look at what he says in verse 11. And he, Christ, gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect, a mature man, a grown-up individual, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we'll all grow up and be Christ-like. Verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, he likens the church to a body, the body of Christ, the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now, there's a lot there, okay? And we're not going to take the time this morning. We don't have the time to preach through all of those truths that we just read. 
but I can summarize it this way. After a person is born again, they're saved by receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. God has a plan for your life, and he doesn't leave you alone. And we've talked about life over the past month or so, and how, remember Job talking about how uh, man is born for adversity as the sparks fly upward. I mean, just like if you have a bonfire in your backyard, just like you're going to see sparks going up, uh, so too is a man who lives on this earth going to go through some hard things. And so for those of us who are born again, those of us who are saved, we've trusted Jesus Christ to save us from death and hell. We have no fear of death and hell. Heaven is our home. But we're going through this life, and as hardships come, and as we begin to grow in our spiritual walk with God, God desires that you and I would grow up into Christ-likeness. Now, I'm not going to spend much time with this, but think with me for just a moment about Christ and who he is. He is love. You and I should be loving, sacrificially loving. He is truth. You and I should speak the truth. He is giving. He is kind. He is gracious. He is merciful. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, temperance. The list can go on and on and on. We can talk a lot about who Jesus Christ is. And the point of this passage is Paul's been talking about who Christ is and what he has done for us in chapters 1 through 3. And now he comes to chapter, chapter 4, and he says, and this is how who Christ is is going to be accomplished in you. I, I love how it talks about, he says, no more children. Toss to and fro. Uh, just kind of carried about with every wind of doctrine and uh, depending on the day and what happens in your life, you can be tossed this way. Or one day you're really excited and everything's going well, and the next day you're completely discouraged, and you don't know how you're going you're gonna to make it through to the other side. And you're ready to give up. And uh, God, the Lord Jesus Christ, has made some provisions for you, for you, that you need, and he wants to accomplish something in your life. So I want to answer the question this morning, uh, what is it that God wants you and I to be as a church? Number one this morning, I want to notice in verse number 12, God wants his church to grow up. He wants us to be mature. Look at there in verse number 12, in the beginning part, he says this, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the perfecting of the saints. The word perfecting has the idea of mature. Um, and in verse 12, the middle part, he says, for the work of the ministry. And the, the end of verse 12, he says, for the edifying of the body of Christ. He's given something. Jesus Christ has given, given some gifts to believers who assemble so that these believers can grow up and be what God wants them to be. So that those believers can do what God wants them to do so that God can be honored and glorified. Look in verse 11, what he gave. It says, and he gave some apostles. What are some of the apostles? What were some of their names? Paul, Luke, John. We won't name them all, but I hear some murmuring. Uh, but there were different apostles, right? And God gave apostles to accomplish what he talks about in verse 12. He had given some prophets. I think of 
Isaiah the prophet and Jeremiah the prophet. And uh, he gave prophets. Samuel was a prophet. And he gave prophets to accomplish these things. Now, we don't have prophets today and we don't have apostles today. But he says here he gave some evangelists. We're going to have Dr. Or Dr. Young, Evangelist Dave Young, going to be preaching at Harvest Fest to the, at the big youth rally out, at the, out in Montrose at the end of the month. He gave evangelists. And then it says at the end of verse number 11 that he gave some pastors and teachers to accomplish these things in your life because you need these things. And that's what, part of what the purpose of a local church is. It's not a place that we just come so we can check off a list and say, were you in church? Yeah, I was in church. I don't know if any restaurants in the area do this, but some restaurants in the South have deals. And if you bring a church bulletin to the restaurant, you get like 10% off. You know, I don't, I've never heard of that up in the North, but in the South, they do it. Is that why you go to church so you can get 10% off your happy meal at McDonald's? You know, I, don't, I, I hope not. Why do you go? Why do you come? And, and really, your answer to that question isn't as important as what God's answer to that question is. Why do you need, why do I need the local church? Well, first of all, he wants us to be mature. So he's given these gifts in verse 11 for the perfecting of the saints. Uh, and again, the word perfecting means maturing. It means equipping. It means uniting. It literally means mending. The mending of the saints. Don't answer, but are there any believers here in this room who are hurting? Sometimes we hurt because a loved one is taken from us in death. And we hurt, we ache. Sometimes we hurt because our marriages aren't what they ought to be. And there's conflict in, within the home, in the marriage. Sometimes people hurt because of rebellion, uh, maybe on the, on the, in the area of their children. Sometimes people hurt because of loss of finances and they're under this tremendous strain and what are we going to do? Sometimes people hurt because they're addicted or they struggle with some sort of an addiction or they can't seem to get victory over some particular sin in their life. And sometimes people hurt. It's part of life. Hurts are a part of life. And I find it amazing here that God gave pastors to the local church and evangelists to the local church in part to perfect the saints, to mend the saints, to help them repair lives that are broken, that have been broken and destroyed by sin, to help put together, put back together uh, individuals who have come apart to mature the saints. You have young children. The Hollises have Carter. Carter's a cutie, just a little guy, you know, but he's starting to motor around a little bit. And, and Carter's daddy's a big guy. And... Uh, Carter's a cutie, but you know what? It'd be awfully sad if Carter never grew any more than he is right now. God saved you. He saved you from death and hell. You have no fear of death and hell, but are you at the same stature spiritually as you were the day that you were saved? Because that's not God's will. God saved you, and his desire for you is that you would grow. 
into a fullness of Christ-likeness. Strong, mature, wise, discerning. You know, God is actively working in our lives to make us mature. He's given us his Holy Spirit to live within us. And from within us, the Spirit of God actively works and he convicts us of sin. Why? He's making us mature. He teaches us and he opens our eyes to truths from the Word of God. I love it when someone will talk to me after a sermon, or they might say something like this. Sometimes people might say, that was a very good message, Pastor, and off they go, you know, and that's all they say, and they're being polite, you know. And sometimes sometimes people look at me and say, Pastor, that was a great message on, and they'll name something. And I'll, I'll think to my head, I didn't say anything about that. They obviously weren't listening. But I don't think that they weren't listening. You know what I think? I think the Spirit of God took his word, and he talked to them about something I didn't know anything about. I didn't know where they were at. And the truth of the matter, and think with me for just a moment, I look out at this auditorium this morning, and all these individuals in this room, there are all kinds of needs in this room. I can't meet all the needs in this room. I can't possibly know all the trouble or problems or challenges, heartaches that are represented in this room. But the Holy Spirit of God knows them. And so when you and I assemble ourselves together in obedience to his word, we literally put ourselves in a place where the word of God is preached and the spirit of God takes his sword, which is the word of God, and he works in your life and he works in my life. Sometimes he convicts us. You shouldn't be watching that stuff. Sometimes he encourages us. Hey, don't quit. You keep going. You keep being faithful. It's going to be all right. I'm in control. But you see, he does things that no pastor can possibly do. He guides us. He comforts us. This is the Holy Spirit I'm talking about, all for the purpose of making us mature and usable. God brings us us to maturity through trials. You know, a a guy who wants to be strong, you know, and uh, uh, maybe it's a high school athlete and he plays for the Flushing football team and or maybe he's a swimmer and, you know, they, they want to develop muscles. They want to develop their bodies in a way where they can be victorious on the field or in the pool or on the court. And so they work to that end. And some guys, you know, they start out and they're about that big around, you know, and, they, and the coach puts them on some sort of a routine. And, and what does he do? He, he applies resistance to them. That's what a weight is. It just resists the individual. And so the individual has to exert themselves more. And the more they do that, the, the more muscular they will develop that way in strength. Well, God brings us, through, brings us to maturity through trials. James chapter 1 and verse 2, he says, My brethren... Count it all joy when ye fall into diverse trials. He uses the word temptations. It means trials. Do you count it joy when things get hard in your life? Don't ask my wife if I do, okay? Just assume that I do. I didn't like weightlifting in college either. Coach. Make us run ladders or do it again. Well, we didn't do it right that time. Why should we do it again? You know, because he wanted us to do it right. But the opposition, the resistance, the trial, the trying of our faith, James says, 
worketh patience. It worketh endurance. Some of us lack endurance. And when things get hard, we just want to say, you know what, hey, it's not worth it. Sometimes people do that with church. You know, I, I came and I just didn't get anything. Not worth it. Sometimes people do that with marriage. It's just not, we're, neither one of us are happy. Let's just go another direction. It's just not worth it. Sometimes parents do that with their kids. Well, they don't want to do it, so we're just not going to try anymore. They just give up. No. Don't you understand that the trying of your faith worketh patience? And so he says, let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect, that ye may be mature and entire, fully equipped to do what it is that God has for you to do. Think with me here what's happening. Paul's walking them through the word, uh, this letter. He's walking them through. He's helping them understand the big picture. God saved you by his grace. He chose you. He chose you. He sent his son to die on a cross to pay the price for your salvation so that you wouldn't have to go to hell, so that you could be victorious over sin. And there you are. Well, what do you need now? And Paul's talking to them about believers assembling themselves together so that God can use a gift that he has given to you. A person whose whole life is devoted to your spiritual life. So that you can be growing up into Christ-likeness. So that someday, when you stand before God Almighty, he can look at you and say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. This is just part of what church is all about. And God uses trials to accomplish this. In 1 Peter 5 and verse 10, Peter wrote and he said, But the God of all grace who hath called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus... After that, ye have suffered a while, make you mature, grown up, perfect, established, strengthen, settle you. God brings us to maturity through the word of God. 1 Peter 2.2 2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If you're a, if you're a newborn, you don't eat steak. Wouldn't that be funny? It wouldn't be funny. It could be deadly. They can't handle. They need milk, right? They need milk. Ian loves steak. Chicken nuggets are fine for a 10-year-old, in my opinion. But when he goes out to eat with Grammy Schmelzer, uh, he orders steak. And I was sitting there one time. We had all gone out, and she wanted to take us out for a meal. We're all sitting there at the dinner table, and and she lets them all order, and he's like, I'd like steak, please. And I'm like, what? No. She's like, no, no, really, it's okay, steak. He's 10, he likes steak. Steak is good for somebody who's mature. It's not all that good. It's, it's not good at all. It's not helpful at all for a newborn, a newborn babe. And you know what? Newborn believers need the milk of the word of God. Whereas more mature individuals need meat. They need things that are going to strengthen them. And God uses his word to grow us. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says, All scripture, all of it is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. All of it is profitable. All of it is profitable. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, 
for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect. There's that word again, mature. Thoroughly furnished. You got everything you need. Wanting nothing. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Do you like, do you like uh, being reproved? Because sometimes the Bible does that. Do you like being corrected? This is what you need to do. Reproof is this is where you're wrong. Correction is this is what you need to do. Instruction in righteousness, this is how you need to do it so you can be mature. That's what the Bible is for. And so God has given pastors and evangelists for you. And I've benefited from pastors and evangelists in my life. God's used them to give to me the word of God so that I could grow. And by the way, I still need to grow, and so do you. So the Holy Spirit of God is maturing saints. Our Heavenly Father is bringing tests and trials into our lives to mature us. And the primary area I'm involved in bringing maturity and mending into the life of a church member is through the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Look back to verse 11 again. He says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Who who did the giving here? The answer is Christ. Jesus Christ did the giving. And he gave men, prophets, apostles, evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And who did he give them to? He gave them to the church. And for what purpose? To mature believers, to help them grow, to help them, their lives be mended. Jesus Christ, while he was victorious on the cross... And he rose again and gave these gifts back to the church for equipping the saints. Notice back, if you would, to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. It's just a few pages away, probably, in your Bibles. Colossians chapter 1. You know, really, it's my God-given responsibility as your pastor to help mend you. Now, it's not me that does the mending, it's the Word of God that does the mending. But I'm to give you the Word of God. It, it, it's my give, God-given responsibility to, as I teach and preach the Bible, and as you receive the Word of God, to help you grow and mature, to come to completeness, to a full-grown individual in Christ and His Word. Sometimes people ask me, and they've asked me over the past four years, what is your goal for Trinity Baptist Church? What is your desire? What is your vision for Trinity Baptist? And my goal is to bring saints to maturity. That's my goal. To see people born again, yes. Added to the church and then say, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. And it's my responsibility to be faithful in giving you the word of God that grows you into being what God wants you to be. I'm not interested in getting more people or growing a church to be, have more people in attendance than a church across town. That's not the goal. What is my responsibility? It's to give the word of God so that you can grow, so that he can meet needs in your life through his word and by his spirit as you go through your daily lives. And whether it's dealing with cancer, or whether it's dealing with a loss of a job, or whether it's dealing with a promotion at work, 
or good health, wherever you're at in your life, God wants to use me as your pastor to work in your life so that you can be all that God wants you to be. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28, this, is, this, this idea was understood in the early church. Colossians 1 and verse 28 says, Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect, mature in Christ Jesus. Look, you're still in Colossians. Look over to chapter 4 and verse 12. Colossians 4 and verse 12. Epaphras was a pastor here, and he says in verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you. He says hi to you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect. There's that word again, mature and complete in all the will of God. It's my God-given responsibility to see that Trinity Baptist Church grows in the truth of the Word of God. And how is that accomplished? How will we be mended and matured? And the answer is through the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. And I'm careful here, but not sermons where I hold the Bible, but preach some, another message. Something that may be exciting to listen to, but it's not the Bible. You see, God's Word gives life. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Sometimes we don't value what we should. Right doctrine produces maturity. You can turn back to Ephesians chapter 4. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, Paul told Timothy, preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. That's right teaching. This is how a church is built. First Timothy chapter four and verse six says, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. You see, I'm commanded to give the church doctrine because that is what is going to make the church mature. That's what's going to take an individual whose marriage is an absolute wreck. And the word of God and the spirit of God in the hearts of believers who are receptive to what God is saying can take a marriage that is on the rocks it can make, and it can, be a, it can be a trophy marriage for God's glory. It can take young people who, are, who, 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 were, who have been saved and who are young, and you know what, the world's going that way, but as the word of God is taught line upon line and precept upon precept, when, people, when those young people receive the word of God, it can take young people and grow them up into Christ-likeness. I'm commanded to teach doctrine. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2 says this, Paul again writing to Timothy says, In the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. One of the things I'm to do is I'm to give the word of God to men who are faithful, who can teach others. Boy, that, I long for that. I long to be able to give the word of God to you as dads here in this room. And as, and as I am faithful in giving the word of God to you and preaching it to you, you can lead your, you can lead your wives and your, your marriages, and you can lead your homes and your children. 
There's a, con- a, a consistent reproducing of mature believers. And in order to do this, it requires that I study to show myself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So, so if God's desire for Trinity Baptist Church is going to be fulfilled, then we need to be committed to the preaching of the whole counsel of God. I'm going to read to you from a passage of Scripture in 1 Timothy. You can look there if you'd like. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And listen to this. This is quite amazing. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Why, why, is, this, why is the Bible so important? 1 Timothy chapter 4 in verse 11, it says this. Paul again talking to Timothy, a young pastor, and he says, These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word. And what you say in conversation, the, the way you live your life in charity, in the way you love, in spirit, in faith, in purity, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. That's the word of God. Neglect not the gift of, uh, uh, that is in thee, which was given thee by, the pro, uh, by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. It's a great hope of mine. And it's by faith that week after week after week I give dozens of hours per week to studying the word of God, to standing before you and preaching the word of God. What is my hope? I'm doing it out of obedience. And I hope that's obvious from the passages that we're reading over and over again. Paul's telling a young pastor, doctrine, teach doctrine, teach the word of God, preach the word. For what point? I mean, let's just watch a football game together and get together and laugh and and have a good time and eat some food together. What, what is this necessity in preaching the word of God? And I love that last verse that I just read. Paul tells Timothy, if you'll do this, you'll save yourself. And you'll literally save those who hear you. In other words, if you'll preach the word of God, there are people whose lives would be shipwreck if you didn't. But if you'll do it, their lives can be made whole. They can live lives that, are, that bring honor and glory to God Almighty. If you will do your job, Timothy, and you will preach the word of God. Look back to verse 12 in Ephesians chapter 4. The word perfecting there can also refer to coming together of dislocated limbs. Uh, where he says perfecting, again in verse 4, for the perfecting of the saints. We've talked about this. It has the idea of maturing, yes, but it also has the idea of, of, uh, of, of, of bringing together limbs that have been dislocated. Paul uses the same word in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and verse 10, where he says this, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together. There's that word, in the same mind and in the same judgment. And so the perfecting of the saints really can mean three things. It can mean mending broken believers. It's, been, it's used in the Bible to mend nets. 
It can mean bringing individuals to maturity. And it can mean welding together all of those individual believers into one harmonious group, bringing together dislocated limbs. So God gave pastors and evangelists for the perfecting of the saints to help restore lives of people whose lives have been blown to bits by sin. To help you grow in your walk with God through your understanding of God and applying that understanding, that knowledge to your life, that's wisdom. It changes the way you live. So you live your life to the honor and glory of God. And you know what? Even to such an extent where your coworkers, when they look at you, they don't just see you. They see Jesus Christ in you. Christ-likeness. That's the goal. Well, God wants his church to do the work of the ministry. And notice what the result is when Christ's body comes to maturity. First, in verse 12, you see, for the perfecting of the saints. Then you see, for the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry. Notice that the saints are doing the work of the ministry. Now, again, who does the work? The saints. That's you. If you're a born-again child of God, God calls you a saint. We studied this last week a little bit, what a saint was. It's not a dead person who did a couple miracles in life, and after they're dead, a council gets together and says, let's call them a saint. That's not what a saint is. A saint is someone who's set apart by God after they've been saved. They're set apart by God to do his will. And God wants his church to do the work of the ministry. What is the work of the ministry, by the way? And I'll, and I'll define it this way for you. It's serving Christ every day. That's what it is. Now, if you have the ability to sing and you can sing in the choir, do it. If you have the ability to sing and you can sing in this ensemble or you can sing a duet or a solo or play a trumpet or play a, play a violin, if you've got that ability and you want to use that to bring honor and glory to God and be a blessing to God's people, do it. But you know what? Doing the work of the ministry isn't just singing. If you have the ability to teach, if you have the God-given ability to teach, and you want to teach the word of God to children in our church, we'll do everything we can to help you do that. But doing the work of the ministry isn't just teaching in church. It's not just being at the church, the, the place of assembly. Doing the work of the ministry is literally, is literally serving Christ each day. God wants you to serve him every day, wherever you're at. We got, we got people in this room, and some are in construction, and some may work in the shop, and some uh, stay and they work at home. And we got people who are white collar and blue collar and all, all kinds of collar colors. And we got all kinds of people in this room. Listen, God wants you. God wants you to serve him every day. The word ministry means an attendant or a servant, someone who's serving It's a practical service. It's spiritual. And notice how our service is described. He says the work of the ministry. In other words, there's there's labor there. It's an act. There's a deed. There's toil that's a part of it. In other words, serving the body of Christ is not always easy. It's not always enjoyable. In our day today, in the day in which we're living, it seems like you do what's enjoyable. Before I went to bed last night, I tuned in. I just tuned in to uh, the Ohio State-Oklahoma game. Yes is right. That was enjoyable. But I tuned in, you know, and, and you know what? You know what I noticed? By that time, I think the game was pretty much over, and uh, 
the stands there, people, the Ohio State fans were leaving. Mr. Green, I'm sorry. If you're here, the Ohio State fans were leaving. It wasn't enjoyable to be there at that point in the game anymore, and so they were leaving. We live in a day and age, and I'm not saying it's wrong to leave a game early, but you know what? We live in a day and age today where, you know what, if it's not enjoyable, leave. If your marriage isn't enjoyable, leave. If your job isn't enjoyable, leave. If mom and dad aren't enjoyable, leave. We could go on and on. If it's not enjoyable, leave. And I'm not saying things should be painful necessarily. However, the work of the ministry, he calls it work here. He says ministry is work. Serving God is work. Serving the body is work. It's not always enjoyable. I want it to be, but it's not always enjoyable. And so where there's ministry, there needs to be ministers. There, there's a place to serve. Peter talks about if you have a gift, use it. God's given you a gift. You're a steward of it, which means you don't own it. God's entrusted it into your care. We only manage the gifts that God has given to us. And if you have a gift, use it. That's what Peter is saying in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. He says, as every man hath received the gift, so minister, so serve the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Serve one another. Encourage one another. It's possible to be a poor steward of the gift that God has given to us. And I believe that every believer ought to be serving the body of Christ in some way. I didn't say you need to be working in junior church, though there might be some opportunities there. I didn't say you have to be singing in the choir. I'm saying you need to get to know your fellow believers within the local church. This is the body of Christ. And when you serve one another, you're actually serving Christ. That's the picture. I'm not making that up. It's for you and for me. God wants the church to do the work of the ministry. The mindset our world has today is that some people are in full-time service. They're, in, they're full-time servants of God. I've talked about this before, and I believe it's done great harm. That thinking has done great harm to our church, or church is. We have, we have created a, a distinction between those between some believers in the church and other believers in the church, and sometimes we go by good Catholic names like clergy and laity. But those are not biblical terms. I may be a pastor, but I am a member of Trinity Baptist Church. I had to be saved the same way you had to be saved. Some of my responsibilities are a little bit different, but we're all saints. We've all been set apart by God to serve him. McDonald wrote, The distinction between clergy and laity is unscriptural and perhaps the greatest single hindrance to the spread of the gospel. You see, when we limit the ministry to people who are in full-time Christian service, we rob the saints of their ministries. We stunt the growth of the church. We stifle the cause of evangelism. And it's not only for me to do that serving, it's for you as well. Counsel people with godly counsel. Pray for one another. It's not just for me to pray for one another. Provide for one another, care for one another, show love to one another, reach people with the gospel. This isn't just my work, it's, it's all of our work. You see, when saints are equipped, when they, as they grow and mature and they're mended, 
God says they'll do the work of the ministry. They'll serve Christ each day. And there's one last truth I want to notice and we'll be done. And that's in verse 12. The latter part, he says this. He's given these gifts so that we'll grow up the perfecting of the saints. He's given these gifts for the work of the ministry to serve Christ every day. And then finally, you see at the end of verse number 12, he's given these gifts for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, when I read those words, the body of Christ, what do you think of? I'm reminded, what comes to my mind, I'm reminded of uh, the Good Samaritan. You remember that man who was attacked by thieves and they robbed him and they beat him and they left him there in the way. And you remember religious people come by and they look at him and they pass over to the other side and they walk by him and do nothing for him. And that happens twice. And then along comes the Good Samaritan and he stops. He spends some of his own money. He puts... takes care of the man's wounds and he puts him in a place and he takes care of him. I look out at the congregation, most, as best I know, most everybody in this room is a born-again child of God. You've received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. There probably are some here and you've never received Christ and I encourage you to do, to do that. But most of us in this room probably are born again. We're probably saved. And there's all kinds of needs in this room. Don't be like those other religious people who saw the needs of that man broken and beaten on the side of the road and walked by on the other side. But look at one another as part of the body of Christ. During Christ's earthly ministry, he was rejected of men, he preached and he taught, he did miracles, he healed people. And there came a point near the end of his ministry where the rejection really began to ramp up and the religious leaders really stood against him and opposed him. To the point where, you remember, they arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane that night. Judas betrays him with a kiss. He's taken that night and illegally tried through the night. That was against the law of the day. That was illegal to do, but they did it anyway. The next morning, uh, by noon, he is hanging on the cross. Nails driven into his wrists and into his feet. Before that, they drive a crown of thorns into his skull. And they, you remember, they've beaten him. His physical body was beaten and broken for you and for me. And ultimately, he would give up his own life and die so that you and I could live. But when you and I think of someone that we love so much in Jesus Christ, and I don't know that there's anybody in the world that you and I love more than him, But when you and I think about Jesus Christ and we think about his body being broken, if you had the opportunity, if you had had the opportunity to minister to him, maybe like Mary, bringing ointment over his feet and washing his feet, wouldn't you have taken the opportunity to serve Jesus Christ, the one who died for you, the one who loved you? And here's what I want you to connect this morning and as we close. This is the body of Christ. Do you have time for him? I want you to think about that. Do you have time for him? Do you love him? Jesus talked about this, and he talked about uh, those who love. He said, he said this, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. You see, if we love the Lord Jesus Christ as we should, our love for one another will be what it should. And here he specifically talks about 
that God has given pastors and evangelists to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And the idea is the building up of fellow believers. Take time to to encourage one another with words. Write cards to one another. Hey, help one another. And I've given this illustration before, but I will never forget, and maybe it's something that the love of Christ through some of the members of Trinity Baptist Church, when I was only an eight-year-old boy, still constrains me to this day. People coming over and knocking on our door and inviting us to come to church. Men from Trinity Baptist Church, now, what has it been, 30 years ago, coming to our home, and my dad was working a couple of days a week, and we had moved into the building, but there was a lot to be done. There was a lot that we didn't have. And men from Trinity Baptist Church coming and serving us. And I, can, I will never forget those images as an eight-year-old boy. I will never forget it. People from a local church loving us. And I didn't think we were all that helpless or needed, necessarily needed all that help. All I knew was they were giving themselves for me. And this is what God desires for a local church. That we would love one another. You know, when I look out here and I see the guys mowing the yard, I wish they didn't have to do that. I wish I could do it for them. But I love them for loving us. Last Wednesday night when I was getting ready to leave, it was about 9 o'clock, and there was a, a, a mother of four kids here playing, and a husband who'd worked a long day is waiting for his wife because she's playing the piano so that a group can sing for us at some point in the future. My thought as I walked out the door was, you've got early mornings tomorrow. Thank you for loving Trinity Baptist Church. Thank you for loving Christ. That was in my mind. And everywhere I look, whenever I see it, whenever I see God's people loving one another, Boy, it encourages me, and it strengthens me, and it reminds me that the love of God is supreme, and that it rules, and that it reigns, and that we love him because he first loved us. So I guess my conclusion to this message would be this. This is what church is for. This is why I need it. This is why you need it. Because what's accomplished when we meet is what we've talked about this morning. The maturing of the saints to accomplish the work of the ministry that the body of Christ can be built up and strengthened. And it is a healthy church, and it is a church that honors and pleases God.